there. Welcome to the City Diplomacy Students Podcast, Season 4, Episode 4. My name is Nellie Whitaker, and I'll be your host for this episode, along with my classmates Suniva and Chownan, under the supervision of Dr. Lorenzo Kilgan Grandi, professor for the Fall 2021 City Diplomacy class at the Sciences Po Paris School of International Affairs. Continuing with our weekly analysis of the nature, scope, and challenges of an international organization's urban strategy, this week we will be diving into UNESCO, or the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. I'll start by providing some background on the organization's history and purpose. Then my co-host will go into a deep dive of two of UNESCO's Sustainable Cities partners. Lastly, we will talk about UNESCO's COVID-19 response. So UNESCO was established in 1946, following the end of the Second World War. The vision upon which it was founded was a response to the racism and anti-Semitism which accompanied the war. It is the specialized agency of the UN dedicated to building peace through these three areas, education, sciences, and culture. Their mission, as stated on the website, is to contribute to the building of culture of peace, the eradication of poverty, sustainable development, and intercultural dialogue through education, the sciences, culture, communication, and information. Their headquarters are located in the 7th arrondissement of Paris. They have a wide scope of activities which fall under this broad mission. Their two highest global priorities are gender equality and working to build a united and prosperous Africa. Some of the success stories they highlight as part of their work include the following headlines. UNESCO preserves 1,073 World Heritage Sites in 167 countries. UNESCO coordinates early tsunami warning systems all over the globe. UNESCO builds youth networks across nine Mediterranean countries, just to name a few. So, but focus on cities. UNESCO chose cities as the privileged space to link upstream and downstream actions. The role of city authorities as policymakers at the local level is considered here as the key to create dynamic synergies. UNESCO has become the leader among UN agencies for implementing the new urban agenda and for spearheading the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development through UNESCO for Sustainable Cities, a major initiative for the organization. One or more previous episodes of this podcast have actually referred to these UN agendas, but here's a quick summary of each in case you missed them. The 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development refers to the United Nations set of 17 development goals, agreed upon by member countries in 2015, along with the strategic plan to meet the goals by the year 2030. The new urban agenda was adopted at a UN conference in 2016. It's primarily a resource aimed at governments, civil society, the private sector, and individuals residing in urban areas, and seeks to accelerate the adoption of sustainable development goals, specifically SDG 11, which is to make cities and human settlements inclusive, safe, resilient, and sustainable. The UN sees this as especially important given that an overwhelming majority of urban development in coming years and decades will happen in developing countries. The UNESCO Cities platform currently has eight different initiatives under their umbrella, each contributing to different aspects of UNESCO's urban strategy. So what are the UNESCO Sustainable Cities Partner Initiatives? We will be focusing on two of these initiatives throughout the podcast, the Creative Cities Network and the International Coalition of Inclusive and Sustainable Cities. Stay tuned for a deeper look into the missions of these two partner initiatives. Reading from each partner's mission statement, 
The Global Network of Learning Cities is an international policy-oriented network providing inspiration, know-how, and best practice. The Mega Cities Alliance for Water and Climate is an international cooperation forum for dialogue on water to help megacities adapt to and mitigate the effects of climate change. The Disaster Risk Reduction and Resilience Initiative provides concrete actions and responses around the disaster risk reduction through systematic efforts to analyze and reduce the causal factors of disasters. The World Heritage Cities Program aims to assist states' parties in the challenges of protecting and managing their urban heritage. The Media and Information Literacy Cities Initiative provides tools, resources, and guidance needed to diffuse media and information literacy to citizens with a goal of building bridges between various city actors, such as local government authorities, city libraries, museums, and more. Finally, the UNESCO NetExpo Observatory Cooperation on Smart Cities explores the world of new uses of digital technology in partnership with the NetExpo, an independent observatory that studies the impact of digital technology on society and business. For the purposes of this podcast, we will focus on two of these initiatives for further examination of how they contribute to the larger UNESCO urban strategy, the Creative Cities Network and the International Coalition of Inclusive and Sustainable Cities. I'll now pass it on to Chowden and Suniva to talk more about the two partner initiatives we'll be highlighting. Chowden, can you give us a brief overview of International Coalition of Inclusive and Sustainable Cities? Sure, thank you. The International Coalition of Inclusive and Sustainable Cities is one of the partner initiatives of UNESCO Cities Platform. It is formerly known as International Coalition of Cities when it was created in 2004 following the call made for the common front in the global fight racial discrimination during the World Conference Against Racism, Racial Discrimination, Xenophobia, and Related Intolerance in Dubai. The aim of the initiative is to improve their policies to fight racism, discrimination, xenophobia, and exclusion, and therefore detrimental settlements are challenges facing cities worldwide and inclined to become more acute with increasingly diverse populations. The international conventions, recommendations, or declarations elaborated at the upstream level need to be ratified and implemented by the states. At the same time, it is extremely important to involve actors on the ground, including the targets of discriminations, to make sure that those instruments are applied to respond to concrete problems. Since its birth in 2004, it has established a network of cities interested in sharing experience with that aim to improve their policies to fight the above-mentioned four detrimental sentiments. Now it has more than 500 city members in the world. Fortunately, many cities are taking action. Thanks, Shannon, for that introduction to ICAR. Suniva, how does the Creative Cities program compare in terms of the initiative's history? The UNESCO Creative Cities Network, or UCCN as it is commonly referred to, was also created in 2004. The UCCN shares the focus of ICAR to increase and strengthen the cooperation between cities across the world, but with a different focus than ICAR. For the network and its 246 member cities, creativity in cultural industries is the core of sustainable development plans. The network believes that to reach the sustainable development goals, as presented by Nelly in the introduction, the engagement of cities is essential as a lot of the urban planning takes place at this level. 
It is therefore the aim of the UCCN to create a network where member cities can share their experience, knowledge, and best practices, pilot project, communication, and awareness raising, to name a few. When a city joins the network, it has to commit to one of the UCCN's seven creative fields, craft and folk art, design, film, gastronomy, literature, media arts, or music. Within their respective fields, the cities cooperate to strengthen the international cooperation between cities that have recognized creativity as a core element of sustainable development. To do this, the network has set certain objectives to be worked towards. Firstly, the network wants to involve the public and private sector and civil society to make creativity an essential component of urban development. Secondly, they aim at strengthening the creation, production and distribution of cultural activities, goods and services. <laughs> Thirdly, they want to develop hubs of creativity and innovation to broaden opportunities for creators and professionals in the cultural sector. Fourthly, they want to improve the access to and participation in cultural life, especially for marginalized and vulnerable groups and individuals. Lastly, their end goal is to fully integrate culture and creativity into the local development strategies and plans. As you can see, the network has quite a comprehensive set of objectives to place the role of creativity at the heart of sustainable development. So how are the initiatives structured to implement their strategies? Actually, IXR is exactly located in the center of the network, of course in a functional sense, and has become a reference as a unique city-level platform in the UN system and in the international community that undertakes a wide range of initiatives, ranging from policy-making, capacity-building, to awareness-raising activities. Okay, after getting familiarized with the role of IXR, we may wonder how it functions. Well, all the activities of IXR are based on its two pillars, seven regional coalitions, and the 10 points of action. The seven regional coalition is used to understand. In order to take into account their specificities and priorities of each region of the world, regional coalitions are being created with their respective program of action in Africa, Arab region, Asia, and the Pacific, Europe, Latin America, and the Caribbean, and North America. By the way, each region needs to identify a lead city. You mentioned this 10 points action plan as one of the pillars. What is that? The 10 points action plan is basically 10 commitments covering various areas of competence of city authorities, such as education, housing, and employment, as well as cultural and sports activities. It suggests in particular some examples of practical policies that city authorities might complete or develop. The signatory cities undertake to integrate with their strategies and action programs, the plan of action, and to commit it to human, financial, and material resources required for its effective implementation. The pioneer version was adopted in 2004 in Nuremberg, Germany. It's a guide for the European Coalition of Cities Against Racism, which is one of the seven regional coalitions. A point here that is worth noticing is each regional coalition will have its own 10 points a plan of action. Why that? Because as what we have mentioned before, each region may have their own specificities and priorities. For example, cities in Arab region may face many challenges related to social transformations leading to social and economic inequalities and urban violence 
while African cities are struggling with the issue of inclusion and diversity in rapidly urbanizing societies, notably human rights values, gender equality, mutual understanding, and social cohesion. So this disparity by region led to the difference in 10 points content. If we take a closer look on the city level, each city authority is free to choose the policies it judges most relevant or most urgent. Moreover, for reasons of consistency, each city is invited to implement at least one action as soon as possible in respect of each of the commitments. City authorities that have already implemented or are currently implementing some of the proposed actions are invited to enhance them or to supplement them by further actions from the plan of action. Thank you, Chanan. So, Suniva, are you seeing any similarities shared between Creative Cities and ECAR? Well, similarly to ECAR, much of the implementation and framing of policies is left up to the members. The member cities do commit to place creativity at the center of development, but the UCCN is not a network which aims at enforcing this, but rather as a forum to share strategies and methods to enable it. To do this, it has developed two main methods. Firstly, it hosts annual conferences that all of the member cities are invited to and encouraged to attend. This offers a unique occasion for the member cities to strengthen their ties. Within the network, this conference works both as a way to determine the future operation and strategies of the network, as well as a way for city members to discuss and exchange experiences, ideas, and difficulties. However, the conference also allows the network to open a dialogue with UNESCO regarding the organization's priority on culture and development. The conference is not the only way the UCCN aims at reaching its objective. The member cities are also called upon to publish membership monitoring reports. In these reports, the cities illustrate how they have implemented their commitment to the UCCN's objective and what their future initiatives will include. Further, the reports should encourage the development of research and case studies on the concepts and experiences of the creative cities. The purpose behind the reports is to place the UCCN at the heart of ideas and innovative experiences, which aims at capitalizing the full potential of cultural and creativity in relation to sustainable development. It is important to mention that these reports are created by the cities themselves, which might influence what is included in the reports and how they are framed. Thanks, Suniva, for explaining the structure of the UCCN. Now we wanted to talk a bit about how UNESCO has responded to the COVID-19 crisis. The larger organization has had a pretty broad response, most notably with an extensive education campaign, including the launching of the Global Education Coalition, a platform for collaboration and exchange to protect the right to education throughout the disruption caused by the pandemic and beyond. They also monitor global school closures caused by the ongoing pandemic and have published a framework for reopening schools in partnership with the UN Children's Fund, the World Bank, and the World Food Program. UNESCO has launched a Next Normal campaign to challenge our perception of normality in the context of the crisis. For example, they give information on how society and the climate were affected by the pandemic, like the fact that March 2020 was the first month without a shooting in U.S. schools, or that the peaks of the Himalayan mountains became visible for the first time in 30 years during the pandemic. So how have the initiatives responded to the pandemic? As a partner network under UNESCO, the UCCN shares its objective to respond to the challenging situation caused by the pandemic. 
What needs to be kept in mind is that the network is very dependent on its bottom-up perspective. Essentially, this means that the UCCN is there to facilitate the cooperation between cities, but most of the planning, implementation and development takes place at the local level. However, the Secretariat, aware of its position and dependency on the members, called cities to share the response to the COVID-19 crisis, particularly those that are linked to culture and creativity. As of the recording of this podcast, five different cities have published a document of their best practices to the pandemic. These cities represent the creative field of craft and folk art, music and film. It is tempting to argue that the way the network respond to the pandemic illustrate one of the challenges and weaknesses of the UCCN. Since the network is built around a bottom-up structure, it is reliant on the cities producing policies and initiatives. As seen in the response to the COVID-19 crisis, this has only been done in three out of seven creative fields. This illustrates that the UCCN's reliance on the city might pose problems when the member city's priorities lies elsewhere, for example, during crises. Essentially, one of the challenges of the network might be that it is heavily reliant on the city's cooperation and produces little centralized frameworks and policies. Yet we should be careful raising this point for two reasons. On one hand, we have to remember that the UCCN is there to facilitate and create what they refer to as a laboratory for innovative and creative development plans. As such, they do not aim at creating a centralized framework and policies. Their aim and objective is to encourage the cities to produce such work themselves at local levels. On the other hand, although there have only been three best practices published under the UCCN, there have been several cases illustrating how member cities have responded to the situation. As such, although the network is reliant on the member cities, it does seem that as of for now, a significant number of cities are prioritizing the network and its aim. So even though it is important to keep in mind the UCCN's structure and reliance on its members, for the time being, it does not seem to be hindering the function of the network. During the COVID time, XR didn't suspend its activities. It held several online panel discussions over weeks addressing the problems facing the colored groups, disabled people, and certain ethnic groups during the pandemic. The guest speakers are notably decision makers of member cities, and the measures they took to revive the society's upright nerve worked pretty well, actually. Their steps never stop. To wrap things up, we have provided a deep dive into two of the eight UNESCO cities platform initiatives to better understand the organization's urban strategy. We've reviewed the nature, scope, and challenges the organization and its initiatives face and reviewed their ongoing response to the COVID-19 crisis. We focused on the challenges of one of these initiatives to give an understanding of what all of them may be facing in similar ways. So if you're interested in joining either of the initiatives, how should people or cities get involved? For cities willing to join XR, they need to fill a letter with a steering committee comprising an application for membership in the coalition, indicating the contact person with a full address, phone number, and email address. And the act of accession and commitment form for the application is available in both English and German on XR's website. For the UCCN, all cities are welcome to join during the annual call for application as long as your state is a member state or associated member of UNESCO. 
However, the cities need to have a formal document of endorsement from their state. The state can only endorse four members each year. However, as long as these criteria are fulfilled, the UCCN will look at the application and consider the city's compatibility with the network. Thank you for listening to this discussion on UNESCO and how the organization is addressing urban affairs today. Be sure to tune in to next week's episode. Thank you. Tschüss und Tag. Thank you.